Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. For woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Alright, it's episode 132 from May 15th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about die grinders and burrs, PVC pipe, forest versus Freud, scraping after tear out, joiner bed length, granite top retrofits, back bevels, blade height, uh, effects of finish on wood movement, and buying wood just because. Now, before we get to all that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. And by SawStop. SawStop is North America's number one cabinet saw and the world's safest table saw. Visit sawstop.com slash 175 to learn more about the professional cabinet saw model that Matt chose for his basement workshop. Then click on Find a Dealer to see the saw in action near you. That's me. That is you. <laughs> we were talking about you. Hey, Matt, that was you. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've never heard my name before on the show, so I was really thrown off. <laughs> no, we don't usually talk to you. So it's, uh, all right. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm going to mark this day. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's move right into the What's on the Bench segment. Uh, Shannon, go for it. Well, I just this what yesterday. It was yesterday, I think. Just started building another lathe. Why? That's a shocker. I don't know because I'm an idiot. Um, I, I've been playing with a spring pole lathe. I guess it's almost been six months now, and the I use the the model that Roy Underhill has shown off on his show. It's got kind of the boom arm overhead, and it occurred to me that it, it's really really cool, but it's kind of a complex construction method not really complex but more than it needs to be mm-hmm. so i'm building one just using a bungee cord and uh, two uprights just to see you know what is is it really a big difference is it going to make a huge difference and i decided i'd um kick it up a notch too instead of putting two pike dead centers i was going to install two modern live centers i figure if the centers themselves spin freely 
And that could be interesting. So I just put the frame together uh, last night and I just ordered two new live centers today. So I'm kind of curious. It'll be an interesting field test to see if there's really any difference. I know the physics behind it, there should be a little bit of a difference in how the um, the treadle, how the pull works and everything. But mm. I don't know. Figured it would be fun to see. Um, so why not? Now, is, is, are you going to be using the, the neighbor's tree to the left or to the right? <laughs> Get out of my tree, Shannon. <laughs> what are you doing, boy? <laughs> Very cool. That sounds good. Well, Matt, what about you? I'm, I'm well, a little I, bit jealous, frankly, for uh, what you've got coming up. I, yeah. yeah, well, I'm a little jealous that everybody just keeps sending things like, you know, hey, Matt, can you tell Mark? Um, no, <laughs> actually, I'm just kind of kidding there. I actually prefer emails that way. Then I don't, I'm not obligated to answer them in those situations. <laughs> nice. Uh, Forward. But, uh, I am so excited about this. I'm heading to Des Moines, Iowa tomorrow as we're recording this. So it would be on <laughs> I Thursday. don't believe I've ever heard those words stated before. <laughs> I, I can't believe they're actually coming out of my mouth either. Trust me. There's <laughs> once in a while I'm like, Des Moines, Des Moines, Des Moines. Why am I excited? Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to the Weekend with Wood event. So, so this cool. should be really – I'm very much looking forward to the events that will be happening at the shop. The rest of Des Moines – I don't know. I've still been trying to look things up, and I, I'm not really finding anything. So. Not, a, not a big nightlife out there? What's going on? Uh, I, I haven't found out yet. Maybe. Uh, maybe there's just something I'm missing. It's like when I went to the, the Grand Valley was the first university I went to, and I noticed in the student brochure it said, exciting nightlife, cow tipping. And I was like, <laughs> hope they're not talking about me. So, uh, All right. So the uh, weekend with wood. Now, yes. I can't wait to just find out as someone who's gone to woodworking in America, what your thoughts are comparatively of this event. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the schedule and one nice thing about this is, of course, we've talked about some of the, the topics uh, at, at the previous woodworking in America and yeah. how we would like to see a little bit more expansion, maybe into some more of the power tools or stuff like that. And they've been very accommodating. They have done just that. They're starting to add so much more. Uh, and one neat thing about this is the very first day that I'm going to be in Des Moines, uh, the conference, I'm taking mostly finishing classes, including mm. one on spray finishing. So that's pretty exciting for me because uh, spray finishing makes me really, really nervous. And not because I can't figure out which end it's going to be coming out of the gun, but just the <laughs> idea of spray finishing. Anybody that's seen me use a spray can knows that I should not be using one. Yeah. There's a lot of nuance to it. So, I mean, it's, but once you get the hang of it, the good thing about spraying is it's it's just super fast it's so fun yeah and you know another thing is they've got a lot of stuff going on over the weekend uh that has to do with turning and that's something i've never seen at a conference before so i actually have one or two classes i believe in here on uh uh, turning a little bit of the basics about you know how to sharpen tools how to actually use them that's kind of exciting i'm like normally i just kind of look at it and go all right i know the pointy end is not the one i want to hold right so what what is the uh that's a good point why is there really not much coverage at, at woodworking in america for turning I, you know, that's that's something I've been wondering, too, because it seems like it'd be a topic that you could easily get up in front of the audience and be able to just go over some basic stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what's going to be happening here with uh, uh, Wood Magazine. Yeah. It, well, the other, there is now, just for the record. This year? 2013, there okay. is turning. Okay, so cool. maybe it just took a while. Oh, you see, that's the thing is I haven't registered for Woodworking in America yet. So yeah. I'm going to definitely – it's going to be fun to be able to compare and contrast these well, things. I, I'm looking forward to that too. Well, plus the thing with the turning is the turners, they got to they gotta go get the sticks and they got to get the bungee cords and build their own lathes. I mean it takes a while. That's true. I, they do I kind wonder of... if that actually was part of it because you remember Woodworking in America started as like a hand tool only thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And like Don Weber showed up with his bow lathe. Um, he was there in 2010 and I think 11. It, he but, was I mean the, that uh, was – he was just in the marketplace. 
Yeah, for uh, the very first one in 2008. In fact, I think his bow almost kept hitting the ceiling, if I remember right. No, it wasn't that high. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I think I mean, when, you, when you get into foot-powered lathes, that's really hardcore, like creepy hardcore. Mm -hmm. uh, I can say that because I'm one of them. And, um, <laughs> you know, I just think you end up kind of turning some people off from, you know, this is, this is hand tools because they're cool to hand tools because, hey, because. what year is it? You know? Right. So I, I don't know. I mean, now that they've introduced power tools, I guess they feel it's okay that they can bring in lathes. Sure. Well, it makes right, sense. Well, I look forward to seeing it. That's cool. Yeah. So this, this should be a lot of fun. One thing I am kind of, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to is uh, they're going to do a whole thing with the editors and you can ask them any question you want to. I think within reason, I've got some that are kind of out of reason. So it will be kind of fun to see how those turn out. But yeah, definitely it's going to be a, a lot different from what it looks like on paper yeah. from any of the things I've gone to so far. So that's, that should be pretty exciting. But that's the big thing for me. I don't want to ruin it all. I'll save everything for the blog posts and maybe some nice little video snippets here and there and share it with everybody, whether you like it or not, in the coming weeks or so. <laughs> cool. And uh, But Sounds other good. than that, Mark, I see you have on the list here that you finally finished reading a book. Is yes. that what that is? Finally. <laughs> I've been trying to read The Hobbit for like 14 years now, and I finally got I, through it. I can't keep those dwarves straight. <laughs> uh, no, I actually got some of the the, the, the most amazing and pleasant and uh, the best email I think I've gotten in years that said uh, from the editor to the publisher saying Mark's portion of the book is done. Oh, <laughs> nice. And uh, today actually was the deadline and we need, just need a couple more days to, you know, sort of do a little fine tuning and, and go through everything from beginning to end just to make sure everything's there. Uh, but the pictures are done. The text is done. And I'm pretty much at this point, hands off. I don't really need to do anything more for it. And uh, November 2013 is the slated release timeframe for the book. So um, this is just a massive, massive weight off my shoulders. I mean, it, it's been since January that I've been working on this thing about seven days a week to get this done. So I am so relieved uh, <laughs> wow. to be able to move into other things at this point. It's been you're crazy. Gonna have, you're going to have so much time on your any hands. desire I have to write a book. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a whole, and I did that little book before when I did my self-published thing, totally different thing. I mean, this is uh, almost 200 pages uh, with, you know, there's at least two or three pictures per page. It's very photo intensive. Um, and of course, all the writing to back it up. So it was way more, way more than I could have ever anticipated it being. But I can honestly say that if I were like trying to self-publish this without an editor, like hitting me with a hot poker, <laughs> so like make me keep doing something or explain something further. I don't know that I would have been able to uh, accomplish this. I would have said, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to do a DVD. <laughs> Call it done, you know? Uh, so yeah, it was, it was tough. It was a heck of a learning experience, but I can't wait to just kind of get it out there and see what people think about it. Um, now the, the book is about hybrid woodworking, right? Which is just as we know it, woodworking, because it's just, right. it's just putting a label on something we're all pretty familiar with. And that is using hand tools and power tools. And this brings me into the second thing I wanted to talk about that kind of sort of came across my bench mostly today. Um, I put up a post about that router jig for making the sliding dovetails in the bottom of the tilt-top table that we're building. And I had made a comment that it's a fairly complicated jig. And of course, the standard response is of, yeah, you could do that faster with a chisel, or why don't you do it with <laughs> hand tools? So what I'm wondering, Shannon, as someone who... For the record, I said nothing. <laughs> you did not. Yeah, you didn't pour <laughs> any fuel on it. I did laugh, though, when I saw those comments. Well, it's typical, though. I mean, none of that was surprising to me. But what I want to know is, as someone who is typically doing the opposite, you're not going to post a picture of a complicated jig. You're going to post something that you did completely by hand. 
that someone else may do with a power tool. So I'm curious, from the community just in general, when you post something like that, do you get the opposite, like a power tool sort of snide remark about, oh, I could have had that done 10 times faster with my router? question, totally. So it does, okay, so woodworkers are jerks all around is what we're saying. (laughs) It doesn't matter what tools you use. (laughs) The way I look at it, it's the knitters have been infiltrating us and they're causing this inner dissension. Oh, that's what it is. I'll I'll put it to you this way. The big thing that's frankly driven a lot of traffic my way is this um, Rubo frame saw. And I posted lots of little snippets of video of me resawing 22-inch wide boards. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, the number of... You know, oh, my bandsaw could have done that in half the time. Yeah. Cool part is, is I've been able to respond saying, really? Could your bandsaw really cut that 22-inch wide mm-hmm. piece of walnut? Right, right. Because I've got one at a professional lumber yard where I work that couldn't handle that. So come on. Yeah. But, oh, absolutely. Every single time I post something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it goes beyond whether or not the hand tool version or the hand tool method is better or faster than the power tool or vice versa. It's beyond that. It's just the fact that people feel like they need to uh, throw that at you like, oh, that would be better on the other side. You know? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you know, we all have our personal preferences. Whatever the heck you want to use to get to the finish line is completely up to you. It's uh, it's your own deal. Anyway, I just wanted to compare notes on that. All right, around the web, we don't have much this week. I do have a link here from Vic, a very cool Indiegogo project that uh, they're trying to raise funds for called RoboHand. Did you guys see this? Yeah, that sounds fun. Yes. <laughs> well, sort of. Um, so they're making, uh, they're using like 3D printing technology to produce these functional uh, semi-robotic um, prosthetic hands for folks who have lost their, their hand. Um, it's a very cool project, really good video, but the technology behind it is one of the coolest parts about it. Um, and they're looking for backers on that. So we'll put the link in the show notes for that. But if you just go to Indiegogo and search for RoboHand, you'll find it. Um, well, that so, would have been a great one for safety day. <laughs> yes, it would have. We could have made uh, that our philanthropy. We could have. Uh, so or, thanks for that, Or just right. the opposite. You don't need to be safe anymore. You can just put this on. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I was watching the video. It is kind of cool because he, the guy, I guess, must have lost. I uh, didn't pay complete attention, so I don't know his backstory. But um, he needed you know, a prosthetic hand, and he was a woodworker. So he wanted something that actually would give him the ability to grip things, not just be you know, this little um, plasticky, rubbery hand thing hanging out there. Um, he wanted to be able to grip stuff and do... Uh, projects and hold tools and actually make it a functional um, part of his body. And, and that's really the gist of what this is all about, which I think is probably music to a lot of people's ears who, who are looking for um, prosthetic options. So Heck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, check cool. out that whole video. Awesome stuff. So uh, let's move like, on to the pole of the week by our buddy Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com, who, by the way, I am sharing a room with at Woodworking in America. I'm going to tell you right now, be very careful when the lights go out. I'm just going to put that out there right now. You can read into it any way you want to. <laughs> Tom, get in your own bed. Uh, well, I, I, he said that he has a CPAP machine to prevent the snoring. Uh, like, well, just for the record, I now have a CPAP machine, and I threw away that supposed mouth guard. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, either way, thankfully, CPAP machines are like white noise, right? I mean, I'm not going to hear them going, Caw. Or anything weird like that, right? It's just white I noise. I was I was so busy snoring, I have no idea what he was doing <laughs> over there. So, great. Well, I'll have to I'll report back and let you know what it's like to to have a room with Tom. Uh, last year, I had a room with Aaron Marshall, and uh, that went that was fairly uneventful. I'd rate Aaron at about an eight on a scale of one to ten. So, I imagine it being very clean and orderly. 
<laughs> yeah, like we, really, really good instructions on how to get out of the bed. Maybe get your clothes. He gave me a sketchup plan. A sketchup <laughs> plan a for sketch my bed. Plan to the bathroom. <laughs> nice. Aaron's good like that. All right. So anyway, um, what the heck was I even talking about? Oh, Tom's poll of the week. Uh, he wanted to know what are your thoughts on paint, and uh, we only had a couple of options here. He says, "Do you ever paint your furniture?" And uh, let's see, about seventy percent said sometimes depends on the project and the application. Uh, 24% said, heck no paint on wood. Come on, man. And only 7% said, sure thing. Paint is a great finish. So, uh, people don't like paint that much. I guess, uh, reading some of the comments, it, it comes down to, you know, does the, does the project really call for it? Sometimes either a client requests it or your, uh, husband or wife is your client and they request it. You just need a certain look and paint is the only way to, uh, to get there. Even if you're using good wood. I have to say every every project I've had that we've painted has been because somebody else requested it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'd yeah. be like, we could just leave it naked. We could go the <laughs> Shannon route. There you go. <laughs> Who needs We could Shannonize it. <laughs> Shannonize it, which is do nothing to it. So Exactly. I spent I like the it. last three days putting finish on. I'll have you know. <laughs> See, you're so inexperienced. It's taken you three days. What is it, like <laughs> a, one panel, like 12 inch by 12 inch? <laughs> I walked into that one. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we do have a kickback here. Matt, you want to read that one? Okay. Well, this comes in from Stan, and this is kind of in response to the safety week uh, comment from our good friend, not demented woodworker, but the medtech woodworker. And he says, just had a chance to listen to the show. This is in reference to number 131, where a guy wanted to know about a severed finger box. Box? Box? Box. box. Yes, box. Mark talked about it in his safety kit video. It wasn't a box, but a baggie with the instant cold pack kind fits the bill. I'm assuming that you snap something in the cold pack to mix two chemicals and create an endothermic reaction that makes it cold, as opposed to keeping it in the freezer. If he really wants a box to transport it in, he's a woodworker, right? He could make one. There you go. And that was from our good friend, Stan. Thanks for that, Stan. Good tip. Make your own box, baggy, put your finger in it, snap the thingy, endothermic, you're good to go. I'm thinking that might be one that you want to paint, maybe yeah. red. Paint that it might box. be able to hide the blood really easily. Probably a good idea to have that box done before you need it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. Got to build that box. Don't, don't make the box after it happens. Where's my dovetail jig? <laughs> All right. Uh, we Hold have on, a... I can't go yet. I haven't finished the box. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got a voicemail here from our... Oh, good... wait, wait, one more. Oh, Wouldn't we do? it be funny if you made the box using finger joints? Did it, uh, rim Ooh. shot. That was pretty good, Had to get that in. I like that. I like it a lot. All right, we do have a voicemail here from our buddy Vic. He's got a question about die grinders and burrs. Hey, guys. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Not really first time, first time. I, you probably actually got me through... But anyway, uh, hey, was uh, wondering, I uh, just bought a, a die grinder. Of course, I got a really cheapy from Harbor Freight. Like, I forget, it was 35 bucks or something like that. Um, but a uh, couple of questions on it. The um, burrs that I found there, they say that 25K, or excuse me, 20,000K maximum uh, RPM. And then the die grinder itself is 25. Uh, so one thing, should I think about getting a, um, a variable um uh, you know, speed switch for it. Uh, and the other one is, uh, um, a good source for burrs that, uh, um, you know, I, I'm assuming there's, there are different, uh, um, levels as far as, uh, how nice they are and what kind of surface they leave. So, um, uh, so that's it. So anyway, enjoy this show guys and talk to you later. Bye. Awesome. Good to hear from you, Vic. 
Why are you being so we... cheap shopping at Harbor Freight? What's wrong with you? I know. I was almost going to think we should just skip over this question, but, you know, <laughs> Fail. he's a long-time listener and friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So die grinders and burrs. I'll admit that I don't really shop in this category very often because I, I have a die grinder and I bought a bunch of burrs and haven't looked at it since then. I mean, I've used it. I just haven't had to buy anything new since then. Um, the one company that I did find some good stuff at was Cutsall. And they make they make a bunch of different things like sanding sleeves, the sanding discs for your grinders, uh, but they also make the quarter inch shaft burrs. Now these are the ones that are um, studded and they almost just look like a, a gritty, you know, very, very high grit sandpaper almost, but it's um, uh, not quite the same thing as like blades. All right, so it's very coarse material on there. Um, they have a pretty good selection, so you could certainly spend some time there just kind of getting a bunch of different profiles, different coarseness levels, um, and I've been pretty satisfied with the overall quality of their stuff. The other thing that I would recommend you do, and this is the one that I don't really know a lot in terms of brand for brand, uh, but if you just go on Amazon and search for carbide burrs, you are going to find a buttload of different types of profiles, different price ranges. You could buy a whole set. You get the little... Um, uh, the ones that look, um, they almost look like Christmas lights or like a little tree. Uh, so it, there's a lot of different shapes that you need to be able to do from a, from a, something that's oval to round to pointed uh, if you're going to be sculpting with this thing. So getting a set is probably not a bad idea, but the uh, the carbide ones are actually the ones that are more like a, a router bit um, than the other type. Um, and frankly, I like those a little bit better. Um, they just seem to cut better. A little bit more expensive too, probably. Um, and to answer his question about the RPM issue, sounds okay to me. You know, the thing's rated at 25,000. Um, the, the bits are max 25,000. Once you get that thing going and you touch the wood, you're not going to be at 25,000. Um, <laughs> as soon as you, especially with that Harbor Freight one, it's going to go. <laughs> so, I don't know. It might not be that bad. I've never used it, but um, it's certainly, as soon as you contact the wood, it's going to slow down. So you'll, you should be well under that limit. And even still at max speed, I think you would still be okay with that. So um, have you guys do any stuff with die grinders at all? Ever? Dremel is as close as I would get. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Same here. Cool. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, these die grinders are very, very cool stuff, um, but they are a little bit scary. Definitely a little bit scary. What are they your thoughts on, on a foot pedal? I've often oh, heard yeah, yeah. with a lot of those, those tools having a, I don't, I don't even know if it's a pedal, but like the little air bubble thing that allows you to turn it on and off with foot pressure. I've always heard that was a good idea. Yeah. Because, uh, holding that thing with one hand, when that thing, like the torque on it can sort of twist in your hand and make it a little bit unstable. So that's definitely not a bad idea just for straight on off switching. Um, I don't think he needs speed control on it, um, based on what he's explained. Um, but yeah, that would be good. Uh, not having to hit that on button is probably a, a really good thing. I know on mine, I've got a electric Makita and the on switch is at the, the back end. So, like to, to actually get back there while it's spinning is a little bit, I guess, precarious. Huh. All right. Mm. Cool. There we go. So that's our voicemail. Let's move into our emails. We've got a bunch of them. So we're going to try and get through these uh, reasonably quickly. Um, first one here we have from Mike. He says, any thoughts on PVC for dust collection? Yes, I do, <laughs> Mike. All right, next. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple too, and I'll share them someday with you. <laughs> someday. He someday, says, I've, I've heard that it could be, uh, it could theoretically spark a fire, but I wonder if that's more urban legend than anything else. It's cheap, easy to install, and easily sealed, so it would seem ideal. Central Vac guys have used it inside houses for years, vacuuming all kinds of combustible material. Uh, ever set it's ever set fire to a dust bunny? Good fun. And insurance companies still underwrite policies on those houses. Thanks, Mike. Um, here's the thing. With this whole PVC debate, uh, there are so many woodworkers out there using PVC in their shops, 
And personally, I've never heard of anybody's house catching fire or exploding from the the dust particles moving through and a static shock or something uh, causing that to happen. There was even a, I think if we don't say it, someone will send us a link for our kickback section for this. But there was a Mythbusters test on this where they did uh, a whole thing with PVC trying to spark an explosion. And I, I, Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. yeah I didn't they, know that. And they weren't able to do it from what I understand. I haven't seen it in a long time. so They just weren't trying hard enough. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I think what, what this comes down to is like the whole grain silo explosion thing is where this is coming from when there's enough dust particles in the air that are flammable. Uh, there's a spark and it's just the perfect conditions to have an explosion or a fire uh, erupt. And I just don't think in, in the standard hobby or even pro level, you know, small pro level woodworking shop. I just don't know that we're, we're creating those conditions and companies like Clearview, um, they make the dust collector that I use. They, their system is built to work with PVC. You know, if you have sewer and drain six inch PVC, that goes right into the intake on, on the unit. So, um, you know, there's just so many people using this. And if it was really, truly that dangerous in terms of fire explosion, we'd know about it. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You would True. hear something like that like crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, especially so considering how much how regulated things are these days, mm-hmm. the slightest little you know red flag would make those you wouldn't find them on the market anymore. Right. Especially in California. If you can buy it in California, then it must be okay. <laughs> it's definitely safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if because if you really think about it, I mean, I'm I'm more concerned about somebody leaving like a nice oily rag all kind of bunched up either on a bench or even mm-hmm. being silly enough to throw it into a, a dustbin or something right. and catching that, on fire than I am the PVC. Yeah, and that Ooh. is something we hear about all the time. I mean, I've we've even put stuff on, on our websites of people who've had either near misses or even lost an entire shop because of oily rags. I mean, that's the real deal. So, right. Yeah. I'll be right back, guys. Hold on. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> oh, Matt. That darn finishing. Shannon's See if you did a little bit more. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. You're up, Matt. Okay. Uh, this next one here is from... Well, it's from Matt, but it's not this Matt. It's mm-hmm. a different Matt. It's hard to believe there's more Matts out there. Yeah. But Matt was asking, I used to use table saw blades that I buy from one of the home stores. A couple of years ago, I bought a Freud LU83R blade, and I couldn't believe what a difference it made in the quality of my cuts. My question is, would I get an increase in performance from a more expensive blade like the Forest Woodworker 2? It's about twice the price of the Freud, so is it worth that much more money? I'm certainly not dissatisfied with the Freud. I'm just wondering how much better it gets. So, you know, Matt, I definitely, I think all of us have been in this situation before where we like step up to maybe that next really cool blade. And then you start looking at that one that you hear everybody talking about. I happen to own a forest woodworker too. That was the one I stepped up from say a Freud. I don't think it's the same exact one you're talking about. And to be honest with you, I I did notice just a, a, I'm going to say a slight difference, but I have to tell you, I really covet my Forest Woodworker 2 blade. Uh, I I think the cuts that I get from it when it's, I've had it for quite a long time now, and I've used it on several different species. And to be honest with you, I I haven't really noticed a difference, like in the necessity that I need to have it resharpened. So I think that's one really nice thing about uh, a higher end blade. And if you go to the websites and you look at, their reasoning for why their blades are so much better. One thing they talk about with, say, like a forest blade is that in the process of making it, there's so much more attention paid to making sure that the blade itself is uh, constantly made nice and flat. You mm-hmm. t- they refer to things such as hand brazing. So there's just a lot more attention to detail, according to the manufacturer, that is. Right. Uh, I've never been to the actual uh, plant itself to see what's happening there. But I can tell you from experience 
Um, I really, really, really like my Forest 2. And if there was a similar manufacturer with a similar blade, I probably would recommend that one too because that high end really, honestly, I feel like you do get that much more cutting ability with it in the sense that your cuts are smoother. Um, I, I, some people will talk about the vibration from them. Like you don't really have a vibration. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about those things. I vibrate naturally while I'm pushing on the table saw. I don't know why I said that. That sounds really weird. You got um, the shakes, Matt. <laughs> I get the shakes once in a while that I take a quick sip out of the, uh, the orange juice and orange. I'm all set. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, what about you guys? I mean, I, I, I think, I it think comes these down to the quality, kind of worth it. The quality of the resulting cut. <clears throat> I know I did the same thing a while ago. I went from a Freud to a, a woodworker too. And it's not like, Ooh, I can push it through faster or, or it cuts so much cleaner. I mean, it, it right. did because the woodworker too was sharper, but, um, the, the, I got much less burning. Um, the cuts themselves were a lot cleaner. Um, it did feel like it went through easier, but mm-hmm. I mean, I just think, I think it's like, you know, even in talking hand planes, it's the manufacturer difference that makes this plane so much more expensive than the others. And that yeah. those little details to just make it nicer in use. Right. Well, yeah. Cause the, the whole thing about the cut, I've noticed that when I did use, uh, in this situation, I have the, again, I have the forest woodworker too. I noticed that the final result, once I took it off the, uh, the saw is that there's not like those chatter marks. So it's a much smoother result from it. And the surface for sure was splinter free. Yeah. So, and again, that's just that one. I know many other people have talked about some of the other, you know, high end blades that out there and they say they get the same exact thing. So, or something very similar. Yeah, and just to, to put it in, in, in money terms here, the blade he's talking about is about 50 bucks, And, of course, the Forest Woodworker 2 is you're probably looking about 100 bucks for that. So it's twice as much. Right. And I guess he just wants to know, is he going to see twice as much uh, quality increase? And I think if you're going from like a $30 blade to a $100 blade, you are going to see a big difference. Oh, that's um, like going from a Yugo to a, like a Cadillac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think initially that $50 blade is probably going to perform very similarly to a Forest Woodworker 2. The question is, uh, six months later, which right. one is going to continue to be giving giving you clean cuts? And I think that's where the, the $100 blade is probably going to prove its value is I think it tends to, at least in my shop, you know, sometimes this could be my imagination too, um, but it feels like it lasts longer between sharpenings. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, no, I don't think it's your imagination. I think it's just my influence. That's what it is. <laughs> All right, Shannon. Uh, let's see. Marilyn wrote in and said... Marilyn! If, if, uh, where did it go? There it is. Okay. If you have a board that you've hand-planed with 90% of the grain running one way and 10% running in the opposite direction, and in spite of a sharp blade, wax, etc., you still have tear-out, how do you use your scraper? Do you... Plane the board with your smoother, then scrape the areas of tear-out only. Scrape the whole thing so you have the same surface or something else. Um, first, I try something else, Marilyn. <laughs> Using that same uh, same smoothing plane that you've got the sharp blade and and it's you know the mouth is really really tight. That's the big one. Make sure that mouth is is only a hair wider than the thickness of the shaving you're trying to take. Um, I will heavily, heavily skew the blade. We're talking probably past 60 degrees and attack it from the side, almost like you're traversing, but you're slicing. Um, That will cure a lot of tear out. Another thing you can do is actually move the plane again, coming in at 90 degrees, like you're going across the grain, move the plane in a circular motion. 
um, in those right over that area of Terra, and you'll find that it will clear a lot of that up. Um, hmm. If it doesn't clear it all up, then I will go to a card scraper, and I generally will just attack that one little area of tear out. And it's going to look different. It's going to give it probably a lighter appearance to the surface. Um, then go grab some water if you want, naphtha, something like that, and wipe down the surface in that area and see just if you can notice it at that point. A lot of time that that discoloration that you see when you um, work with a scraper or if you're planing ingrain and you have to kind of go from two different directions to prevent from tearing out the board, a lot of times that goes away when you put finish on it. And I think that leads to a bigger issue. There's a lot of people that really obsess over the quality of their surfaces. And a lot of times it's it's surprising how a lot of it goes away when you put finish on it. Not mm-hmm. like tear out and stuff like that, but some of those discolorations, um, once you moisten the fibers, it goes away. Now, if you've run that mineral spirits or naphtha or whatever over the surface and it's still very, very obvious, then that's probably one of those things where you may have to just scrape um, scrape the whole surface in that same direction to kind of blend it. Or you can scrape a wider area and kind of blend that together. Um, but ultimately that that moisture test, I guess is what we should call it, is the real telling element there. Cool. Um, you know, Shannon recommends running the plane almost sideways. I'll take that one step further. And if you want to truly tear out free cut, just run the plane backwards. There you go. That, that works fantastic. And then no come back in out. with a sanding. Absolutely no tear out. Okay. Uh, next one we have here is from Jake. He says, I'm wondering about jointer bed length versus material length. Everything I've found just says to get the longest jointer bed you can afford or have room for. I have a small shop and most of the time I work with boards that are less than four feet. I'm working. I'm wondering what bed length I can get away with. Uh, when I do the occasional desk or table, what effect will a short bed length have on those longer boards? I'm considering a short bed being under 60 inches and a long boards being six to eight feet. Thanks, Jake. All right, Jake, uh, I totally agree with that advice. The longer, the better. And the reason is because it's not so much the boards you work with all the time. It is those boards that you work with once in a while that are going to give you the biggest headache. So if you've got the capacity to handle it, your life is just easier. Um, Even on my eight inch jointer, which has fairly long beds, if I'm doing something that's approaching eight feet and it's really whacked out, it's going to be very difficult to joint that board. Um, so, you know, my advice would be get a decent six inch jointer. The bed length should be enough to handle, you know, from what you said, about 95% of what you do is uh, four feet or under. You'll have no problem with that stuff for the occasional longer board. My recommendation, if you can, uh, what I actually do for, for boards that are in that excessive length, I actually will, um, take them to another tool, whether it's the table saw or a circular saw with a, a track. What I like to do is get that edge as close to straight as I can, because the straighter it is, the more it's going to run true on those tables, even if a good portion of it is hanging off the edge. Uh, if you've got a big bow in there and you're trying to run that across the, the tables, that's going to be really tricky. Um, of course, I'm talking about the edge here, not the the face. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't really, I'm not going to give them any exact numbers here because I don't know them off the top of my head, but most standard six inch jointers are going to give you enough length to do most of what you need to do. Um, but we all tend to have issues no matter, I guess, unless you're like, you've got the, the David Marks, um, aircraft carrier style (laughs) jointer. We all have trouble once boards get to, if they're really out of shape and they're about eight feet long, that is always going to be a challenge. And a lot of times you do have to employ, um, very accurately located roller stands and things like that, just to make sure that the board stays the way it's supposed to be. 
I wonder if I think you're onto something though, Mark, where take take another tool to it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and just knock off that high spot. Um, that's gonna, you know, everything is running along fine the first four feet of the board, and then suddenly it bumps it up, you know, an inch off the table because you've got this weird spot in the middle or at the very end, especially with side bend. Yeah. Um, your best bet, grab, you know, grab a hand plane, grab a, you know, whatever, grab a die grinder if you're big, you know, (laughs) and and just, you know, hog off that little spot. Yeah. Then take it to the joiner. Yeah. Hybrid woodworking. Great suggestion. Very good. And yeah, I'll just simply say that with my, my old one, my old six inch, which had the, the shorter beds, one idea that was floated to me, and I know people will mention this one, is like, oh, you just need some roller stands off the back. In fact, I think I actually recommended this to somebody once. And sure, that might actually work in some situations, but you get to that point where trying to come up with this alternative method to hold the longer pieces becomes such a pain and the results are so hard to get really good ones from that you start really fudging things. So, yeah, I, I agree. If you can do it, get the, get the bigger one right away. There you go. Sweet. Hey, uh, let's see. This next question comes from Milo. And right off the bat, I see why you guys gave this to me. This reminds me of the lazy sloth kind of one last week. So let's go ahead and get right into this. This is from the Insane Ideas Department. So I see it's right up my alley. Um, I figured you guys would be perfect to ask the question to. Uh, Matt talked about the granite top on his old table saw. I liked everything I heard, particularly how he didn't have to worry as much about what he sat down on it and the extremely smooth surface. I do miss being able to just set my pop down and not worry about it leaving a, a ring or anything. Um, do you have really? Have you heard of people? Hmm? Do you really? Is that really a problem for you? It actually is. It's really <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> about, I don't want to sit wow. it on my workbench because I might spill it. <laughs> okay. I thought about that. I'm, I'm trying to think to myself, like, how many times do I have to go, like, oh, I really want to put, I can't put this there. Oh, man, what am I going to do with my soda? You know, it's it's just not a problem for me. It is <laughs> I want to be able to reach it while I'm cutting. <laughs> Oh, hold on a second. Hold on. Stay. Okay. okay. Terrible. It, is, it is an honest-to-goodness problem. In the, the van. I'm a very thirsty guys, guy, guys. I enjoy a good grape soda now and then. That's right. I, I need my water. Have you ever seen me sweat on the camera? Yes. <laughs> Moisture has to come from someplace. Nice. So anyways, uh, so uh, Milo's asking, have you, have you heard of people retrofitting an older table saw? Is it economically feasible? I wonder if all those local granite stores have the capability to cut in the dado slots or even area for the blade inset, though. Uh, and I've also seen conversation into replating old tops with nickel or chrome. Nuts? Um... I don't know if it's nuts uh, so much as I'm just not going to do it. I think that, that's a lot of I, I don't even know where you'd begin to start. With the, with the first time I read this email, the, the first thing I thought of with a retrofitting is occasionally you see those commercials for uh, the granite tops where you just drop them on top of the old ones. And it's kind of like uh, like a pseudo granite, maybe. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, my first thought was, what are you going to like set it over the top of your cast iron one and call it good mm-hmm. and just pretend like it's mm-hmm. actually full-on granite (laughs) well let me ask you this having used granite and i think we've mentioned this before where granite was like this big new thing and then suddenly it's no one gives a crap about it anymore um having used it do you really think i mean obviously the market can tell us that it was not successful but do you think it would even be worth it for him to look into this and pursue it is there enough of a benefit other than your soda um (laughs) to to having a granite top uh, no, actually, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't think it is the only other major benefit I had from it. He mentioned the smooth surface. That's nice. But the other yeah. thing was, I liked the, the, how solid it was. It did dampen some of the noise, but other than those with compared to any other saw, I, I don't really think that it's a, 
a necessity. I don't think it's it's not nothing that you really need to be concerned about or even spend the time worth trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah, it just seems like it would be a lot of effort to go through for something that's not really adding a whole lot to the the situation. Exactly. Right. I wonder it, where Milo is. Is he like, you know, in a dripping <laughs> like his his uh, shop is like in the pool house. <laughs> I mean, it's like, is rust that big of a problem that it's you're in actually like, considering this? It's in a medieval dungeon. There's just stuff <laughs> dripping down the walls at all times. It, it turned out that it. was the water torture area <laughs> that they, they practiced in there. Yeah, yeah I, I really, you know, I, I know it's kind of neat to have something like, like the granite top. I know a lot of people just thought or think that it's really cool. I enjoy it. I would easily accept one again. But, um, yeah, it just, Milo, find yourself a, a nice table saw. And be happy with it. Well, and I think functionality is the question here. Um, there are a lot of places in the woodworking world where you can put your money. And if you have a tabletop that just is a little bleh, it just you know has a lot, some rust stains on it, uh, maybe even if it's just slightly pitted, that really isn't going to affect its performance. You right. know, so, so you can give that thing a nice uh, light sanding with some WD-40, take all the rust off, uh, put some treatment on it to, to prevent rust, and then get to work. Because there's a lot of great tools that will add something to your shop that you could spend that money on um, resurfacing and things like that just sounds like a, a misdirection of funds. Well, you know, and another thing, a lot of people will point to the granite and say, well, you don't look, it's dead flat. I mean, I'll think of a, a granite reference plate yeah. and uh, to be honest with you, the, the steel city one I had, I think there was a, a minor dip, but it's the type of dip that you're going to find in most table saws anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how serious are you about your feeler gauges? I mean, are we, are we talking like, you know, millionths of an inch, thousandths of an inch, tens of thousands of an inch? The more I uh, use how, how much does that really, really honestly mess up your work? Yeah, the more, the more I use feeler gauges, the more I realize they belong in the drawer. <laughs> That's the best place for my feeler gauges is in the damn drawer. I, I use mine as a rust preventative. I put those out there and hope all the rust just goes right to those so that it'll go. protect the rest of my tools. <laughs> Sa- like sacrificing rod. Nice. Let's see here. We've got a, an email from Thomas. He says, I'm new to the bench plane world, and to help, I picked up the Veritas MK2 honing guide. It clearly has instructions to put back bevels on blades, but I'm not exactly sure which tools would need back bevels. Should this be something I use regularly, or are back bevels a project-specific item? Thomas, back away from the back bevel. Get off them. <laughs> It, the, the back bevel is a way for people to adjust the cutting angle of a bevel down hand plane. So your, your standard hand plane, the blade goes in with the bevel down and it's the angle in which it cuts the wood is based upon the angle of the frog. That's that piece that the blade rests on. So normally it's 45 degrees. There are companies that sell high angle frogs so that you can change and increase that angle to make uh, more of a tear out free cut. What you're doing by adding that back bevel is essentially raising that um, inclusive cutting angle. The problem is, is now you have two bevels that you need to sharpen. You've got your primary bevel and then that back bevel. And you're kind of committed. Once you put a back bevel on, that blade will forever be a back bevel blade unless you grind the, <laughs> the edge off all the way back past that. That's fun. And that's just not fun and you risk losing the temper and the steel and all that stuff. I I cannot deny that a higher angle will help with tear out, but less and less do I rely upon that. There are so many other things you can do to a plane to prevent tear out than raising the effective cutting angle. So I think 99% of the time, a 45 degree frog with a standard, you know, bevel down blade in it will do the job. So 
I just don't think it's worth the um, the compromise, frankly, of putting that back bevel on there. So don't worry about it. Don't worry. Great honing about guide, it. though. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, all right. It's very nice of them to include these things that we really should uh, avoid. Right. Thank you yeah. for letting that's, me know. That's Veritas's <laughs> business model, I think. Include lots of things, lots of bells and whistles. There you go. All right. Next one we have from Daryl. He says, how high should I raise my table saw blade above the work? Online, I can find two suggestions. Either just barely clear the work or let the gullets just clear the work. Neither makes sense to me. Just clearing the work seems like the cutting angle would be forward, not down. Factoring the gullets in seems nonsensical since the gullets are clear for 95% of the blade's circle. Uh, the cutting angle seems best to me if the blade is as high as it can go. The cut, sh- bleh, the cut should push the board down rather than forward, right? Yet nobody ever suggests raising the blade all the way up for cutting three-quarter inch stock. Why not? Help a new table saw owner out here. Uh, well, here's the thing. Lots of opinions on this. I'm going to put a link in there for you to a wood web conversation where you can follow about 40 different people with 40 different opinions. And uh, I would suggest you just read through them, read their justifications and see if you can come up with a, a thought of your own and, and what you think makes sense. One thing I I will say is, um, excuse me, even if it makes sense in some other regard, for whatever reason, to put that blade all the way up, do you God, want that gives to? me chills. Like, do you want to? Uh, if you're cutting a three quarter inch piece of wood, something slips and you push forward and that blade is fully exposed. Oh. God. We're we're talking about the difference between possibly a, a near miss or stitches and an entire limb coming off. So so for me personally, I just for that reason alone, I will never have my blade fully up unless it's embedded in wood. Uh, so I actually like to have it up somewhere between the gullet and a tooth being exposed. Um, generally speaking, I would say look at the material you're cutting. Look at the cut quality, and if there's a dramatic difference using one or the other, uh, and you get better cut quality doing one or the other, do them. I don't think there's a huge difference in increasing your risk of kickback. I mean, that's where a lot of people talk about. Well, if it's up a little bit higher than the, then it's pushing downwards and not pushing, but you know, it's it's pushing up in the back and down in the front. Um, either right. way, I mean, if you touch it in the back, it's gonna fly at you. So, <laughs> right. uh, you know, so yeah. honestly, I would say don't go too low, don't go too high. I think somewhere in between there, and it's all really, in my opinion, it's semantics at that point. I don't think it's gonna make a, a huge practical difference uh, as long as you're using your safety gear. But I would definitely suggest not going all the way up, even if you think it would do something better. I think it's just too risky for me personally. I recommend he raise that blade all the way up to the highest point. Turn it on. And then just see how you feel about it. Yeah, exactly. Listen to that sucker scream as the blade's fully extended. And then think about running a piece of wood through there, putting mm-hmm. your hand anywhere near that and you'll rethink it. Yeah. It just, you know, and of course I, I hope you're using a splitter here uh, or a riving knife to, to, and also a blade guard. Um, you know, so, so look into it. You might find that you favor one way or the other, but I, I think when it comes down to it, you are probably not going to come down in favor of having that blade all the way up unless you're using a particular material that that's the only way you can get a nice clean cut. Um, mm-hmm. you know, something that chips out a lot or something, but for most things, you know, solid wood and, and plywood, you're probably not going to want to do that. This, this just reminds me of the, uh, the, the constant question about, you know, do you put the hand plane with the blade down onto the surface or do you put it on its side? So there's lots of opinions about those. Yes. I get nailed for that all the time on YouTube. It's great. Yeah. I love it. It's usually for me to say it to you. I have a whole bunch of aliases. All these different accounts. <laughs> All right, so this this next question comes in from Manny, and Manny asks, I'm building a solid wood tabletop and was wondering about how much mo- movement I should expect across its width. 
I've been utilizing the Woodshop app on my phone along with relative humidity and temperature to figure out how much movement I should expect. I was wondering if the numbers I get on this app or similar resource, resources online are based on unfinished wood and if I could expect less movement from a finished piece. I assume that the more finished the piece is, the less movement I should get. Is this correct? If so, are there any resources that you are aware of that take this into consideration? In case it helps, I'm planning on finishing my tabletop with about five coats of Minwax Wipe on Poly. Speaking of old wives' tales, I know that this is one that has been out there and it's been, what, proven, disproven, disproven, approved, you know, that kind of thing back and forth. There's always the, if I finish the top, do I need to finish the bottom? Uh, Vice versa, what's going to happen here? You know, as for, let's start with, first of all, with the... uh, Wondering about the actual movement itself. Typically, one of the questions I have is how wide are your boards? Mm-hmm. Uh, the wider the board, you're going to probably have just a little bit more movement. Again, it's also going to be species uh, specific. I actually happen to trust the the Woodshop app or any of the other movement calculators that are out there. And as far as I know, they're based on uh, raw wood at a specific uh, percentage usually somewhere like between six to eight percent, if I remember correctly. I know there's probably a way to compensate for that. Yeah, I know in the woodshop sure. uh, specifically the woodshop widget, you can modify all of those numbers. So you you state the specific conditions uh, okay. of, the, of the change in relative humidity or moisture right. content. Um, so okay. you got everything there. Uh, but but the question is, I mean, can you can you even get something like the effective finish into those? And there's really no way because it's so variable. You know, right. two coats, three coats, four coats, five coats, uh, polyurethane versus shellac versus lacquer. There's too many variables for any kind of calculator to, <laughs> to give you any meaningful information. Um, yeah, I think the only way you could do it really to arrest it is if you put it in a vacuum. And then again, I'm sure somehow there's going to be an issue with that. Yeah, I mean, it's basically you're going to get uh, humidity penetrating the finish and I, and I you know, finish is going to slow it down, but it definitely mm-hmm. isn't going to stop it. Uh, so I would still use those numbers and, and build based on those being your maximums and minimums and know right. that the finish might tend to delay it a little bit. But if you plan for that and you build so that you expect it to do that, then everything will fit within that those confines and you'll be safe. Exactly. Right. I think that's the key is the wood will always move and, and these are the ranges that it can move in. All finish does is slow the um, dropping and picking up of moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the worst thing could have ever happened to this is when companies started calling finishes sealers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because there's just no such thing. You just can't stop it. Yeah. yeah. You just slow it down dramatically. And in the case of five coats of a wiping varnish, that's not, that's not that much finish. You know, So right. it's, it's definitely still going to take up moisture uh, readily. It's just going to be a little bit slower. Um, definitely. All right. Shannon, you're up. Cool. Clinton says, last weekend I went to a local woodworking show for the first time and I was blown away with both the price and quality of the wood some mills had for sale. Compared to the rubbish I usually get from the home center here, the wood was so cheap and so beautifully figured. I had a bit of a brain overload moment with the possibilities running through my head on projects. I was wondering if you guys tend to only go get wood from mills specifically for a project in mind or do you stock up when you see a really nice piece? Also, what attributes do you look for in terms of picking one board over another? Well, um, if you saw the size of my wood collection, Clinton, you would know that I am an opportunistic buyer. Order. Um, <laughs> okay, that's one word for it. We'll um, see if uh, no, Matt Paxton comes in. I can, I can in actually you. come and go from my shop, so I'm not quite to the <laughs> Not there level. yet. There's no dead not cats yet. in your shop. <laughs> not yet. Um, 
but I, I can speak from someone that actually sells wood, and I would say probably greater than 80% of my customers um, buy because it's purdy. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, I'm constantly asking, hey, this is your, you know, your lumber's on the way. What are you going to do with it? What are you building with it? And nine times out of ten, it's, I don't really have anything in mind. I'm thinking about this, um, but it was just really cool, and I thought I'll find a use for it. Mm. Um Usually those guys at the same time buy, you know, three, two or three other boards specifically for a project. It's just one of those things when it comes to, um, you know, special pieces, whether it's wide or really figured. Um, sure. If you happen to have a project in mind, great. But I think that a lot of us um, tend to buy it because we think we can do something or the possibility or we're inspired by the board itself. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's regular old FAS lumber, Nah, I can't say I'm buying a lot of that just because it's there. I'm usually buying that because I have a specific project in mind. Right. Yeah. What I typically do is if I'm buying for a project, I overbuy very yeah. intentionally because uh, that gives me a lot of options for the project. So I can be picky about which parts of the board I want and all the leftovers are mine's and I put them up on the, on the lumber rack and that's just part of my stash. So I make sure I buy extra and if I do see something really unusual or unique, I will pick it up just because it's there. Um, but I will, like you said, I'm not going to go and just buy, I don't know, a stack of maple <laughs> because I think right. I'm going to need it someday. Um, it's got to be something unique for me to to spend the extra money for that I wasn't expecting to spend. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's... And frankly, that's where a lot of my lumber collection has come from. You know, it's not, <laughs> oh, I bought this board, I bought that board. Because I don't actually have that much heavily figured stuff in my my collection. It's just... It's it's leftovers. It's two pieces left over from when I bought, you know, cherry one time before. Yeah. Um, and it just it it stacks up. So eventually you start to design pieces around the lumber you actually have in your shop. That's what I should be doing. <laughs> right. Should be. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh moving on to the iTunes reviews. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we always appreciate that. Just look us up in the iTunes store, click the ratings and reviews button, and you can tell Matt your most intimate thoughts and secrets. I promise I won't share it with anybody else except for everybody <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, yeah. So special thanks to Jameson Blake or J yeah, I guess you could say that's Jameson Blake, but it could also be James on Blake, which has a whole different meaning to me. <laughs> wow. That might um, be the last five star rating we ever get from James <laughs> or Blake. <laughs> Never know. Equal opportunity. Uh, DT Christensen. And also someone who called themselves, if Letterman were a woodworker, and he left a very long review that's – we're just going to read it because it's a, it's a top 10 list. And how do you not read a top 10 list? Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is actually an iTunes review sitting in the iTunes store right now. <laughs> this is awesome. Which is great. So, all right. I thought it was go. an ebook. All right. I got to put my, uh, my best Letterman face on. Uh, I'm in the middle of making a gap between my teeth just to make it for a good fact. <laughs> Which size um, chisel are you using? <laughs> right. All right. He said, this is a seriously good but lighthearted show that keeps me motivated and forces me off the couch and into the shop. You need to listen, if only to get in on some of the inside jokes below. So longtime listeners will, will know what just about everything here references. Number 10, he says, a Heppelwhite is not a nearly extinct species of rhino. It's a kind of furniture that lives in Shannon's house. Nice. <laughs> I almost got that one. <laughs> okay. Number nine, there are countless uses for a good sharp chisel, but almost none for the bad doll kind. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, number eight, you thought Norm has cool tools? Mark has yet to meet a four-figure machine he doesn't like. Oh, <laughs> That's very true. I like it. I got expensive taste. What can I say? 
Uh, number seven, all the cool kids read pop woodworking, and the folks that find woodworking just can't understand why. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> we didn't write this. just want to say, we didn't write this. I wonder what he wrote over at the fine woodworking one. Exactly the opposite, yeah. Um, all right, number six, Tom's tips are better than his lips. Oh, Mark's going to find out tips. at Woodworking America this <laughs> going to find out the hard way. <laughs> Wake up, Mark. All right. That's terrible. Number five, if you saw it, you can see it. No, it's the other way around. If you see it, you can saw it. Just don't use training wheels. Oh, jeez. All right. Uh, number four. <laughs> number four. Wengi is abundant in Arizona, but maple and pine are exotic in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite one, by the way. Uh, number three. Chinese plywood is a communist conspiracy to frustrate American woodworkers and force them into knitting. Yes. Here, here. Okay, number two, favorite drinks. Mark likes Yoohoo. Matt prefers cheap beer, and Shannon enjoys a nice mint julep. <laughs> that's a, that's a recent reference. I've had a mint julep. I need to go have one now. <laughs> go have just, one, man. Just for experimentation. It looks refreshing. Uh, and the number one, most entertaining thing I've learned on Wood Talk Online is the Schwarz is the sexiest man alive, and all three of the Wood Talk guys might just risk a wife-induced table saw injury to spend one night alone with him. <laughs> wow. I don't know if that's true. <clears throat> but maybe he, a couple of years ago he is a sexy guy mm-hmm. what, he, what can you say once he started right. chopping that hair he just kind of lost interest <laughs> jeez that's terrible all right remember that today's show is sponsored by festool at festoolusa.com and also sawstop you can go to sawstop.com to uh read about their products and matt do you did they put your video on their site or something like that or if they haven't why not um i'm, I'm gonna talk <laughs> yeah, to them actually the about that I think there was a whole thing about, you know... Um, the size of the hot dog you used? <laughs> yeah, that's probably exactly <laughs> what it was. They're like, you know, you're just showing off. Sir, you that know, is an inappropriately large hot dog for this experiment. Um, it's like some of the, the places that you know, have uh, truck shows and you have like the super monster wheels <laughs> and they're like, Matt's just trying to overcompensate something. <laughs> right. Uh, I also want to mention that we have a recurring donation option. If you'd like to support the show, just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in the left-hand column, and you'll see a few links for... Signing up for recurring donations of uh, 2 5 or $10 a month, or you could just do a one-time donation if you'd like to help out. And we'd like to thank Clinton and Christopher B. for their generous contributions. Thank you very much, guys. And Matt, how about you give them that contact info, and we'll get out of their earballs. All right, Dave, folks, if you have a comment, a question, or a topic suggestion from anything you've heard in the show today or something you've heard previously, or more importantly, something you'd, you'd like to hear later on, somewhere in the future. Mm-hmm. You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you know where you're going to find those? Do you guys know? I know, but I'm not going to say. Okay. Mark, Shannon? Mark, no, Shannon? Shannon, I don't Mark? Know where they are. Tell okay, us, well, they're, they're over at woodtalkshow.com. That's where you're going to find them, Fair along enough. with, like I said, any of the links that, that we have in off. there. Although, occasionally, we will mention links that we will forget to put in there, and sometimes, sometimes we do that on purpose. <laughs> Just to mess with you. Very nice. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to the chat room, and also thanks to anyone who might be listening on YouTube. We're trying something new with our uh, different streaming service here, so if you like this, uh, let us know. Let us know how the system performed. Uh, Because that's kind of the big thing. We want to have a good live stream, and we don't want ads. Let us know if it's a nice, strong stream, because we have a doctor that might be able to help us with it. it Man, it had had to be said. Oh, boy. Yes, it did. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Bye. 
This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. WarbyParker.com slash covered.